Future trading involves risk and is not suitable for all investors. Content provided in this segment is meant for educational purposes and is not a solicitation to buy or sell commodities. All right, everybody, welcome back to another riveting rendition of the GDT Auction Podcast with Mr. John Spainhauer coming to us live from Chicago, Illinois. John, how are you doing today? Doing great, Cody, and happy to be here. Good. Me too, buddy. Me too. So I guess another GDT Tuesday, uh, not as much fireworks as we had three to four episodes ago, I would say. Yeah, you know, we're in a bit of the summer doldrums here, at least in the northern hemisphere, I guess, going into the winter doldrums, I suppose, for the southern hemisphere. But just not a lot happening overall on the GDT. If we were to look at it from the perspective of, you know, all the excitement, the excitement all took place back in you know, mid-February to early March, if you remember, prices on the GDT for whole milk powder, skim, basically everything, just exploded higher and took this monumental lead to the rest of the world. Most of that was on the back of Chinese buying. Um, and since then, here we find ourselves in the middle of June, more than several auctions later, and prices really haven't moved that much. They are off, in most cases, off of the highs that were made back in the beginning of March, but really not not a significant shift on anything. And so what you end up with is today you have, uh, you know, an auction that on the whole was down 1.3, you know, on the aggregate, if we go back, you know, this is just kind of inch leaking lower uh, over the course of the last few auctions, but really nothing significant significant uh, that stands out in this that makes me say hey the fun is over with here or that there's that this is signaling a tremendous amount of downside to the rest of the world absolutely i think what a lot of folks you know the calls that i have kind of taken the past two days uh have been why would the cheese and the gdt be a dollar 96 compared to the u.s is about uh, after spot today, call it a buck fifty-eight. Why such the disconnect throughout the world, and kind of what are you seeing going forward? You know, between those two prices. Well, I tell you what, Cody. I've I've talked about a lot of unique stuff over the years sitting in the seat, and uh, transportation has always been a factor in the background, or uh, you know, an element in the equation, a factor in the equation, but never has it been as big of a factor as it is today. At least it seems that way. Specifically when it comes to international transportation, going on to seabound traffic out of the United States, that there, there seems to be a real problem still at the port side. If you remember back in, you know, going back Last year, there were some port issues. Those got resolved for the most part. But then as things really started humming along here after COVID reopened, a lot of congestion at the ports, uh, specifically down in Los Angeles at that port of Long Beach. And, and a lot of it, you know, it was just, it, there was so much traffic coming in and not enough traffic going out, but they got that straightened out. But what, what seems to have happened is that, that one of the ways that that got straightened out was just people kind of diversified what port they were willing to go into. Um, there still are some ports and problems in Los Angeles, but it sounds like now there are problems in the port of Oakland. 
from our export side, specifically on cheese, you know, a, a lot of it goes to Mexico. There's no doubt about that. But that marginal amount goes where we're going to see increases. That's going out over an ocean. And it's generally, and I say generally, leaving out of the West Coast. So we've had some significant shipping problems. And that more than anything seems to be what's holding us back, not only on cheese, but on skim and potentially butter. I think it's just real important to point out that this, you know, this seems to be a big part of the issue. And we've had people say, I would buy U.S. cheese. In fact, I have bought U.S. cheese from a manufacturer. I'm just not able to get it out of the country. And that means that I either have to, you know, reject the load or find somebody else to buy it or find an alternative source. And sometimes that means paying up in, in a place like New Zealand or potentially Europe if they can get that product on a boat. So by no means does it mean that our cheese is any worse than, you know, cheese throughout the rest of the world. Normally we see a much tighter relationship between Europe specifically and the U.S. If Europe right now is at a buck 90 and we're, our block number here is at 150, I mean, I'm going to write a significant amount of that differential down to those transportation issues. So I didn't even know, John, that that was a thing where you could pick what port that you wanted to go out of. So in theory, if port A is is filled up and everyone kind of sees that, everybody shifts their loads to port B, port B gets filled up to port C, so on and so forth. Wouldn't you assume that this problem just kind of lingers for the foreseeable future? I, I you know, Cody, I want to be really, really clear here. I will pontificate about a lot of things. I've never talked about ports or stevedores or uh, shipping containers or shipping channels. Um, I, I, your, I think your theory sounds pretty sound. I, I just, if somebody were to tell me it got fixed tomorrow, I wouldn't be surprised either. Um, I just don't know that much about it. What we do know is, is that there do seem to be some significant issues, specifically on the West Coast. That's backed a lot of product up here in the domestic market and a lot of what we're hearing about is the product that we see for sale out here is coming off of the west coast possibly product that was bound for an export destination and you know no longer can quite uh, get on a boat understood but i will to your point though i don't know how long it'll last maybe it continues on but maybe it doesn't uh, and when we get that fixed i think we will see some significant more significant exports. I think it's very important to point out that during the month of April, our export report showed that cheese exports were at a record high. So I think you heard it many times on here, my joke, if if that's what we're exporting when the ports are broken, what are we going to export when they're fixed? And so we've just seen the, these cheese exports that are kind of mind-boggling and, and even more mind-boggling when we look at that relationship between the U.S. and Europe. If you go to the, you know, going to the non-fat world, we saw om- or you know almost record exports of non-fat. March was a record. April was just slightly below that, and we saw butter exports that we haven't seen since the 2000. 2000- 2013, 2014 era. So we are exporting. I want to make that really clear. And I think that's important to point out. I think the idea though is, is that we could be exporting a lot more specifically when we get these shipping issues straightened out. Right. So that's a great point, actually. So all of those products that you had just mentioned need to get exported from somewhere, generically the West Coast. And if the, you know, if the ports are, we'll call it broken right now, to your point, in the future when they get fixed up, uh, exports should keep rocking and rolling. 
That would be my expectations, and I think at that point in time, you could see a pretty rapid vacuum higher in prices. It's not just me saying that. Right. If we look at the futures, our cheese futures are, are carrying a pretty significant premium in them and saying that we're going to be, you know, July starts pricing here. It, it's saying we're going to be at 165 on average, not too far off of where we're at. August at 175, September at 181, October at 185, and November at 186. Right. It's looking for a pretty steep increase in prices here on the cheese side. You can argue with those cheese prices and say, those are too high, but I can say, you know, the, the market certainly has an expectation that those ports are going to be fixed and that we are going to see prices move higher. Or at least that's one factor in the steep, steep curve we see in the cheese futures. Absolutely. I guess another question that folks would have, and, and maybe this has to do a little bit with the export market, is what are you seeing or what are you hearing um, as far as China being a buyer of all of these products? And I know that's kind of a loaded question as you don't really know, you know, hey, Mr. Chinaman, where are you buying from? But if, if you were to take a guesstimation, what would your thoughts be on, on China and how they're doing thus far? Well, I would say that the behavior that we've seen out of China over the course of the last year really hasn't changed. And that is that they are a significant buyer of almost all commodities. And if we relate it to dairy, they're a very, you know, the most significant buyer on the GDT. You know, we've been seeing some months where they were 85% higher than the year over year, or 100% higher. This specific auction, they were 25% higher. Than the year over year and the year, you know, from a, you know, if we look at it from a a two year perspective, they were, they were in there and doing buying quite a bit. I, I just don't see China's behavior as really faltering here. Maybe they've slowed down their, you know, the, the growth rate a little bit, but they are still the buyer of feature in here. I suspect they always will be, but the, the effect that they had on prices over the course of the last, you know, six to nine months has been pretty monumental. I don't think that's going to change. If we look at this auction as compared to last and say, well, why did this auction go down? We can see that on specifically as it relates to GDT prices, Southeast Asian participation was down 48% versus a year ago. Right. And last auction, they were up pretty significantly. This auction, they were down. And you say, well, why would Southeast Asia uh, back out, you know, come in and back out? Specifically, why would they back out on this auction? My guess is that, you know, and this is a, you know, this would be my guess. Uh, I don't have proof of this yet, but my guess is, is that they are finding alternative solutions to the high prices that they're paying on the GDT. For instance, if at all possible, if I can, when it comes to skim, if I want to buy New Zealand skim right now, it's costing me a dollar fifty-two. If I come over to the U.S., uh, I've got the opportunity to buy a dollar twenty-eight uh, on a spot basis. Right, our futures aren't that much higher. Again, that is going to come down to the ability to get it on a boat and get it out the door. If they can, I think they're going to try to buy a cheaper 
source, that is going to result in higher demand in the U.S. and lower demand in the GDT. Maybe they went to Europe where prices are, you know, in the the mid 140s. But I, I guess I would look, I would would not necessarily look at this auction and a say China was gone, and b I wouldn't say Southeast Asia is pulling back their demand. I think their demand specifically is pulling back from the GDT and probably surfacing in some other areas of the world, which are offering cheaper product. As far as the demand function, uh, do you think that some of these countries are looking ahead saying, hey, if I buy spot right now, X amount under, you know, what we can get off the GDT, even if it takes them a month to two months to ship that out, we are still that much farther ahead on our pricing. Do you think that has any effect going forward of, of countries t- trying to, uh, I guess, figure out when the port issue is fixed? I think it, it certainly can, and I, I guess I look at it and say I don't know that anybody's in necessarily in any sort of rush to get product in the door at this moment in time. Maybe uh, some people south of the border here of us, they're in a drought and maybe they need to get it, uh, but I would say they, they might need it just in time, but I think there's plenty of product in the world right now. I, specifically, I, I don't think China's been consuming every bit of what they've been buying. Right. I think they've certainly been probably been consuming it, but they've also been stockpiling a little bit away. So it, you know, if if some of these other countries have done the same, maybe it gives them the pot, the opportunity to say, you know what, I will buy at cheaper prices and I will keep it in the U.S. Uh, and maybe ship it at a different time when that ability comes up. We'll, we'll see. I, I, I don't have a great read into that, but my sense is, is that money starts to talk here. Given the opportunity to buy cheaper, people will. And when there's a... T- you know, a 22 cent differential between New Zealand and the U.S. You know, I think people get kind of, or, or more, excuse me, but I think people at 25 cents, they, they kind of get busy looking for transportation differentials. So as it relates to the U.S., I know we've been saying this now for several months, we've been hanging around this 130 area, getting down into 127, popping back up. But I maintain, um, I think the U.S. is very well supported in this area with uh, the potential for a significant amount of upside. Again, the, the New Zealand price came down a little bit today, but I think what we're seeing in general is a consolidation at those higher prices. It, it, it doesn't signal to me, at least at this point in time, that anything has really changed out in the general dairy complex. Okay. So everybody's kind of in a holding pattern, essentially, until we get some of these problems in the world uh, taken care of, per se. <laughs> be my my take on it. I think the U.S. domestic demand is doing great on everything. Um, Supply is doing... I mean, uh, I guess if we were to look at it from a theoretical standpoint, we would say supply stands to get hurt. You know, in the immediate short term, there's some heat rolling through the country this weekend, specifically out west. Uh, We'll see. I don't know that that's going to have do a lot of structural damage, at least at this point in time, as much as it will have a temporary effect. From a structural standpoint, though, we could possibly see these grain prices start to have an effect on milk production as more and more people, or how do I say it, as people start to realize these higher grain prices into their input, that stands to you know have a significant impact on milk production in the future. I think that's really been the uh, Uh, The push and pull here right now is, you know, the theoretical idea of less milk production in the future versus, hey, I'm dealing with a lot of milk right here and right now. 
And so maybe we will see, and it's very likely that we'll see milk production pull down. But in the short term, we are dealing with a lot of milk that is turning into a lot of finished goods. Some of those finished goods are having trouble getting out of the country. And we just need those exports to be running at full bore if we're going to, you know, if we're going to see prices, you know, stabilize with the rest of the world. Right. Gotcha. Absolutely. No, I know in the Midwest, the the feed cost is definitely taking toll on producers. And uh, as you said, we'll definitely see with a lot of these co-ops making the 10% reduction as that is sticking going forward, uh, what will feed cost add to the possible decline in milk production? We're not going to know. I don't think we're going to know for another month, two months, maybe three by the time we get back on another you know podcast like this. But you make some good points there. I always try, Codetto. <laughs> awesome. Well, everybody, that's going to do it for another episode of GDT Tuesday on the podcast with myself and Mr. John Spainhauer. If you have any questions, please feel free to email them over to us, and we will try to uh, get them answered or find somebody who can get them answered to the best of our abilities. Mm-hmm.